Welcome, guys. It's great to have you back. Um, saw a lot of you guys over uh, the month of January during interim, but uh, for those who are out of the country or doing internships somewhere, uh, it's good to see your faces. Um, it's good to have everyone back. Um, happy first week. So, and, and I also want to acknowledge, especially in the first couple weeks here, that it might be your first time uh, to come to RUF. Um, and so just want to be, just want to name that. I don't want to assume that, um, this is at all familiar to you. Um, and no matter where you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we actually want you to feel welcome. And, uh, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. And we're a group of people, a Christian campus ministry. We just want to walk alongside you to help you grow in your faith while you're in college. And, what we're trying to do, we're trying to figure out how to love God, love others, and love Wofford. But more fundamentally, we want to be a group of people fundamentally bound by the reality that before anything else, God loves us. And so I hope that whether it's sermons or songs, um, small groups, and uh, meeting with Caroline, meeting with me, um, that you experience the love of God and that uh, you associate RUF with the love of Jesus. Um, we, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah this spring. Uh, it's our first night looking at that, and our text is found in the handout if you have one, if you want to turn there in your Bible. Um, if, you've, if you've grown up in the church uh, or uh, if you're not a Christian, you didn't grow up in the church, uh, you probably are familiar uh, in some way with the book of Jonah. Uh, let, me, let me tell you what Jonah is not about. Um, if you remember the life of David last week, you know, I said just on the front end, you know, spoiler alert, it's not the point of the life of David and David and Goliath is to like dare to be like David. That's not it at all. We learned that together. And guys, this, is, this book is not about a big fish. And this, this book is not about Jonah. Uh, what we're going to see each week uh, relentlessly is that the book of Jonah is about God's endless mercy for sinners. That's what we're going to see. God's endless mercy for sinners who run away from him. Uh, And tonight what we're going to see is that Jonah receives instructions from God, and he looks at God and he says, no. He runs in the opposite direction. So uh, when you teach, I have three nieces, and I remember when my brother and my sister-in-law were teaching my nieces how to talk, um, when they were sort of babbling and they started saying words and repeating their parents, um, they would want them to zoom in on specific words. And they would say, say mom, say dad. In my brother's case, say roll tide. Uh, and if we ever have kids one day, it will say LeBron, um, right? So whatever it is, you get the point. Here are two words that you do not have to, uh, to teach uh, kids how to say. The first is no, and the second is mine. No and mine. And look, uh, and put another way, and maybe put sort of in biblical terms, put it in a phrase, you don't have to teach the human heart how to say, my will be done. You do not have to teach the human heart It is so natural when we wake up in the morning prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Lord, to leave the God who I love, my will be done. It's how I woke up this morning. I suspect it's how you woke up as well. And 
I think I, we've done a lot of traveling recently, and we're going to be flying to uh, visit some friends in New Orleans this weekend. Uh, I'm convinced that the phrase, my will be done, is most evident in the airport. In the airport, everyone becomes the worst version of themselves in the airport. You're, like, gross and sticky. You don't want to touch anything. The Uber driver was five minutes late. Now you don't have time to get coffee. Uh, it's, and then, like, you, everyone's fighting to get in the front of the, the line so you actually can have room to put your bag in the overhead area. And everyone's there. And then you're, like, people watching, and that's, like, a nice way of saying you're, like, judging uh, everyone around you. Um, there's a story. I don't know if this is true or not, so just just bear with me. Let's just pretend like it is. But I, I heard that this is true. Let's think. Keep the airport theme in mind. And it goes like this. There's this guy, this pastor who only has one arm. I'm pretty sure this is true because he told me it was uh, preached it in one of his sermons, and I trust this guy. Pastor has one arm. And what he would do is he, uh, he admitted to my other friend, he says he always would ask to pre-board early because of his disability, even though he doesn't really need it. He said it's his way of making sure that he gets overhead space. And he is a pastor. Um, I just can't, like, just visually, it's just a really funny scene to me. Y'all, um, my will be done. That's where we woke up, uh, and that's where Jonah is gets instructions from God, and he says, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Um, Follow along uh, in the text. I'm going to read it. I'm going to pray, and we're going to walk through it. Friends, this is God's word. He's spoken to us. He's not silent. The Bible is not a theology exam for you to ace, and it's not a book of rules for you to follow. He's spoken to you and to me because he loves you. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. It's the word of God for the people of God. Let me go to him and as he might teach us. Lord, we uh, give thanks. Uh, we woke up with new mercy in Jesus Christ, and it is a mercy that is endless. We cannot outrun you. We cannot outsin you. We cannot outtrick you. You are relentless in your pursuit of rebel children like me, And like everyone in this room, Lord, um, slow us down. Our minds are restless and our hearts are as well. And we need you to show us beautiful things in your word. Because if you don't, we just won't see it. We're too distracted. And um, teach us by your spirit and for Christ's sake. Amen. Okay, the game plan uh, is before you. Um, First, hearts on the run. And then second, how hearts change. Hearts on the run, how hearts change. So Jonah uh, is on the run. And the first thing that we need to know about Jonah and why him running is a big deal is that Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was a prophet. That's why the first sort of, in verse 1 what we read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, 
in the Old Testament, in the pro- prophetical books and the minor prophets, the, the, uh, and then Isaiah and Jeremiah and the, other pro- the, the, the larger prophets, what you get is when you read the phrase, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, it's the, it's the author's way of signifying for readers, this is our guy. This is our prophet. He has a vocation to prophesy. And it's usually during like really chaotic and rebellious times in the life of Israel as well as in the Gentile world as well. And so the stage is set. God has his man for his job. And it's Jonah. And he says, I've got a job for you. And then we read in verse 2, Jonah's response. You know, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Call out against it. Prophesy against it. Their evil has come up before me. And we'll get there in a second. But what we see is that Jonah responds with no. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to Tarshish. And I practice saying that a lot this week. Tarshish. Um, and in case you don't know where uh, Tarshish is and why this is important, um, Tarshish, well, here, here's the deal. Here's why it's important. Nineveh, where God wants Jonah to go, was about 500 miles east of where he was, okay? East, 500 miles. Tarshish was like 2,500 miles west of where Jonah was. Completely different direction that God wanted him to go. And so one commentator says it this way, in a deliberate parody of God's call to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah arose. Did you see the repetition of that verb? Jonah arose to go in the opposite direction. Tarshish, it's believed, lay on, uh, it is believed, lay on the outermost western rim of the, the world known to the Israelites at the time. In short, Jonah did the exact opposite of what God told him to do. Called to go east, he went west. Sent to the big city, he bought a one-way ticket to the end of the world. He wanted nothing to do with God or his call. He's suspicious of God, so he ran. So I want you to think, like, if Jonah heard this call, he gets out, like, a map, and he's just like, okay, Nineveh. And we're going to talk about why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He's like, what? where's the furthest place? And he picks Tarshish. That's where I'm going to go. I mean, it's not unlike if you were to call, if God, you got this prophetic word from God, which you probably won't, to go to Florida, and you're like, uh, I'm going to go to Canada. <laughs> I'm going to go to Canada. Uh, because as well, my friend Brent Webster says, this is what sin is. Sin is going your own way. It's one of my favorite definitions of sin. Sin is going your own way. Jonah goes to Nineveh. So we have to ask, what is the big deal about Nineveh? And here's what we need to know. And to understand this whole book, we've got, you've got to like zoom, uh, kind of wake up for this. Um, uh, it's the capital of Assyria. They were known as a terrorist state. They tortured God's people for decades, and they did unimaginable things to their enemies. Like stuff, like stuff I was reading this week, I like can't even say out loud to you. It's like it would be like embarrassing to say out loud. It's so tor- like just unimaginable stuff. But here, here's a couple things. They would burn children alive. They forced family members to walk around with decapitated heads and body parts of their loved ones. This is Nineveh. This is the Ninevites. And so it's said that also the Ninevites would like use the skin of their enemies essentially as like wallpaper decoratively. This is Nineveh. This is where Jonah... So Jonah hears this call and he's like, 
I don't know. Uh, like, I, take me to Canada. I don't know if I want to go. The track record for Ninevites, it's not going to go well for me. So it's understandable. They have a consistent track record, and Jonah is instantly suspicious, and, and rightfully so, but he goes his own way. The posture of his heart is, I mean, he's rightfully scared, but the posture of his heart is, my will be done. My will be done. I think we see at least, there's so many things going on with Jonah. We could like spend so much time on, this is only three verses. We see three things about sin, okay? If you're the note-taking type, the first one is this. Sin breaks our relationship with God. Sin breaks our relationship with God. Jonah, in many ways, is a retelling of Genesis 3. God creates man, Adam, and Eve in his own image for relationship, to dwell with him, to have communion with the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what sin does when it enters into God, when you say, not, my, not, not your will be done, but my will be done, there's a break in the relationship. There's distance. And then instead of enjoying God's presence, what happens? There's shame. They have to cover their bodies because of what sin has done, and they want to leave because they're embarrassed of being in the presence of God. It creates distance relationally, okay? Breaks your relationship with God. Sin also breaks us, like it breaks us. Jonah's running away from God makes him, there's this theme, we're going to see this, there's the repetition of Jonah went further down and down, down into the ship, onto the ship, down into the, to the basement of the ship or whatever, and then down ultimately into the, into the bowels of this fish. Down and down and down. Because sin is a parasite. It's one of my favorite images of sin. It, it latches on to something that's already good, inherently good, sucks the life out of it. Over time, it will suck the life out of you and out of me. This is what's so profound about what happens to Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, formerly Smeagol. Cute little Smeagol in Lord of the Rings. What happens? You know this. His lust, his greed uh, for this ring literally physically transforms him. It isolates him from people he loved, from the community. This image of him like hunched over, like almost navel gazing, like looking at himself. This is what sin does. It doesn't just break our relationship with God. It breaks us. Another image that I think that is helpful here is think of like a, a fish in a fishbowl. I've, I've said this to, to some of you before. Oftentimes we think that to experience freedom, it's the absence of restraints, of all restraints. And so we look at the fish, the fish experiences that the fish can do this, which it can't. You know, uh, they're looking around. I know I'm in a bowl. This is so restraining to me. I need freedom. I need autonomy. It's, it's 2020, new year, new me. Get me out of this bowl. So you get him out of the bowl, and what happens? He dies. This is what happens. He dies. You had your freedom, right? Sin breaks us. And this is, it's going against the grain of how you are wired. And it ends in tragedy. This is what happens. And I know, like, this is, we're getting kind of teaching theological. You know this experientially because you've been sinned against. I know you have. You've shared Many of you have shared stories with me about your childhoods and experiences here. You've been sinned against. You've sinned against others. You know it breaks you. But it also breaks other people. Our sin breaks other people because sin is not private. It's never private. Okay, here's what happens. You know what happens when Jonah gets on the boat. What happens? A storm. And we read in the text that the storm occurs because it's a result of Jonah's sin. Here's what's interesting. There are other guys, mariners, sailors on the boat. 
They didn't sin. But they're affected by Jonah's sin. Our sin has ripple effects in the world. To our roommates, to our spouses, to our family members, and even systematically in communities, the ripple effects of sin, it's never private. It always hurts others. It's not really is sin like how is sin or, or actually it, it, is sin affecting other people or is it hurting others? It's like it's how and who. You can just assume that it is. There's this book uh, about Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, you might know that Elizabeth Holmes, like the, the, uh, she's the youngest billionaire in history with this medical startup uh, in Silicon Valley, I believe, called Theranos or Theranos. She created this device that was going to revolutionize healthcare and how you gave blood and what you could detect and uh, all these things. And what ended up happening um, was all these people started using this device, cancer patients, all kinds of people. And everyone's really fired up about it. And then it comes out that this was a scam. And people were using this device thinking they were being cured. They weren't. Uh, they were being uh, treated in ways that they like did, shouldn't have been treated, using medicine that actually didn't fit their disease, wasn't appropriate to it. And this woman's like um, addiction to fame and greed ripple effects Effect, affected other people. People died. This is what happens. Sin doesn't just break our relationship with God, doesn't just break us, doesn't just change us, change our hearts over time. It actually breaks other people. Now, um, I, I found myself when I was studying about Elizabeth Holmes and what she did, I'm like, how dare she? Who does that? And I found myself kind of like, I was like, I'm kind of getting pharisaical over here. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the point. I think uh, she is saying, Elizabeth Holmes is saying, my will be done. She had it her way. And that's where I wake up. Uh, and I, so sin is not just a theological category or a dusty churchy word. It's not that. It's, it's experienced. It's where we woke up. Sin isn't just out there with the prodigal sons and daughters who drink too much and party too much. Uh, it, and it's also not, it's not the Pharisees that are so judgmental and we can just see it on their face. It's here. Sin isn't out there, it's right here, okay? If we learn from anything from Jonah, it has to be that. So for Adam and Eve and Jonah, faithfulness, obedience to God seemed like a straight jacket. And so freedom, the absence of restraints, doing their own thing, my will be done, ends in tragedy. So that's hearts on the runs. Let's go to how hearts change. How do you stop running? How can we stop running? How can we trust God? Is that God is actually committed to our good? Is that possible? How can that happen? I'll admit, uh, there, there really isn't much good news in these three verses. It's like y'all thought y'all were going like, to get some encouragement tonight, and we're like, sin, 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 running, running, running. Uh, there's not a lot of good news. And uh, I, we're going to go to good news in a second, but I want to say that this passage anticipates good news. And here's what I mean. Jonah, when he's on the boat, those sailors ask him, if you know the story, we know that the storm is happening right now. It's so chaotic because of your sin. How do we make it stop? That's what they asked Jonah. 
We know why it's happening. And Jonah says, you're right. It is because of my sin. And I know what will happen. I know it will make it calm down. Throw me over. Throw me in. Throw me into the sea. Throw me into the storm. The storm is here because of me, and you're going to die because of my sin. Throw me overboard. Throw me in. It's what he says. And here's what we anticipate in the good news, is that Jesus is the greater Jonah, because here's, here's what Jesus does, and Brent Webster says it this way. Just as Jonah threw himself into the storm to save the sailors, Jesus threw himself into the storm of God's judgment to save you and to save me. Sin is putting ourselves in God's place, and salvation is when God puts himself in our place. You see the good news that Jonah is pointing us to. The prophet and priest and king of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is his Jonah in this way. Because at the cross, he said, throw me in. So they don't have to do this. Punish me, don't punish her. Punish me, don't punish him. Ever. Not only that, you punish me and they will never experience punishment. How crazy is that? Ever. Only in Christianity do you find a God who says that. I don't throw you into judgment. I throw judgment onto myself. I don't die. Uh, you don't die to get me. I die to get you. You don't die for me. I die for you. And so the only way, y'all, to stop running is to encounter the cross of Jesus Christ and the endless mercy and the theme of this book, the theme of the Bible, and the heart of Christianity. Because the good news of Christianity is not you figuring out how to stop running from God. The good news of Christianity is that in Jesus, God has ran after you. That's Christianity. Not the opposite. When you see the depths of God's mercy, you aren't suspicious of him when he calls you to love your enemies. Like those people on campus that I like can't make eye contact with. You're not suspicious. It goes from duty to delight real fast when you see the cross. When you see the depths of God's mercy, you can stop running. Because the default setting, y'all, of, of my heart and yours when we wake up is, no, God, my will be done. And look, I, I, I want to say this. I have lived, I, I didn't become a Christian until I was a freshman in college, like spring of freshman year. I lived the majority of my life with, like, the organizing principle of my choices where my will be done. It's hell. It's, like, it was awful. It was terrible. Um, my will be done drove my life. And the only thing that changed me, that I'm, and I'm convinced that the heart of the Bible, the only thing that will change you is seeing the relentless love of God on the cross for you. So you can say crazy things like, not my will be done, but your will be done when you're tempted to cheat on an exam. And it's become a routine, and you're becoming real numb to it. And you got to keep the GPA up to keep financial aid. You can say your will be done, God, when you know that you're called to challenge and speak the truth to a friend who you love and you're avoiding it because you just, you're a nine on the Enneagram and you can't even make eye contact if it's going to be conflict. <clears throat> I'm so, I was like, I hope they get this uh, Enneagram. You can say your will be done when you're tempted every single weekend to self-medicate and to escape with alcohol 
and hooking up with whoever. You can say, not my will be done, but yours. And you can actually trust that it's good. You can actually trust that freedom defined by you ends in tragedy. I think you know this instinctually. That's what the Bible says. You can trust him because the depths of God's mercy, what the, God, the gospel shows us at the cross, there's no one you can trust more than God. No, there's no one more trustworthy. He's not trying to trick you. When you're challenged by him, he's calling you to do stuff, to, to, to challenge people, to say no, to love your enemies. He's not trying to trick you. He actually wants you to become more like your son. He wants the fruit of his own spirit to become flesh in your life. That's what he wants. He's so committed to you to doing this. He's committed to us. Um, so trust him, friends. Follow him. And I, I, I believe me, it really is better than running. Uh, I did a lot of it. Um, so stop running. See Jesus on the cross, um, and, and you'll stop. Trust me. Let me pray. Lord, um, Thank you for your word and how